Good afternoon, folks, or good morning, or good evening, whenever you're listening. Welcome to Schoolhouse Cracked. Uh, as always, I'm here with my really good friend, Dr. Marcus Motor Chandler, uh, professor, former principal, former assistant principal, former school counselor, and uh, Iron Man. Yeah. 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 Oh, it says, yeah. yeah. Um, with me, Mr. Brett Derrickson, lifelong educator, um, as always, father of three great children, um, doing some amazing things, and inspirer of young minds, inspirer of educators, and inspirer of veteran educators. Yeah, and I don't think you know my children well enough to call them great people. I just need to say, <laughs> just want to put that out there. I love you guys, but uh, I think we're all. Okay, 90% of the day is great, great kids. Uh, so uh, welcome back, folks. As we spoke in our last episode, um, we're really going to be exploring, based off of some audience feedback, some viewer feedback over the last couple of episodes, um, something that we've been talking about in education for years and years and years and is really becoming prevalent just in the last couple of years, um, but that's this notion of student apathy or laziness. Yeah, so the idea is there's something wrong with this generation of young people, they are simply unwilling to engage in school the way we did because we were always interested in school. Yeah, and, and so uh, in preparation for this episode, Brett, I read an article, um, and it is actually a series of articles, and it was um, uh, a collection of newspaper articles um, from the last hundred years of, uh, of people writing in opinions or editorials uh, lamenting the fact that the current generation of learners is apathetic or lazy or disengaged from school. A and the article encompasses uh, a, a narrative from every decade for the last 10 decades leading up to 2020 yeah. of the current generation of adults lamenting the fact that students are, quote, apathetic. Yeah. So let, let's start with, let's come to a common understanding of what apathy is. Okay, of, of this was kind of apathy. fun because Marcus and I, as prep for this episode, were in a little bit of a disagreement on, on things, and I thought that he had over-associated apathy with laziness. And I think that that's totally fine because I think we use them as synonyms or as perfect synonyms. Yeah, we use them synonymous. synonymous. And yeah. I, don't, I don't agree with that, but we use them synonymous. Yeah, we do. For, yeah. We do that for sure. So I just looked up apathy definition. I Googled it. And Oxford says that apathy is the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And I think that that's fine. I think that that might cause laziness. Mm. But I also think it's fine for us to not give a shit about some things. I know that I have an apathetic approach to a number of things. Here's what it says, though, in the sentence, widespread apathy among students. So ironically, the best way for Oxford to describe what apathy is is to reference this idea that students are not interested in their own learning. What do you think? So let's, so let's separate that definition of apathy from the common understanding of laziness. Yeah. And so I, I want to couch our, our dialogue and our understanding of laziness as something physiological that happens in our bodies and laziness being one, either a choice we make to disengage from something because you don't see the value in it mm -hmm. or um, the energy needed to engage in that activity is too high and we make a cost-benefit analysis, um, but also the result of overexertion, burnout, um, and, and overall lack of interest. Like, uh, I'll be honest, um, I, would, I go through phases of laziness mm -hmm. where if I'm tired or emotionally drained, I'm going to choose to put off a chore or project around the house because my, my physical and mental energy is low. And so let's separate that definition of laziness from the definition you read of apathy. Yeah, ab absolutely. If, if I could just kind of set a context to this, and it has to do with me being, and, and folks, if you don't remember, or if you're just tuning in for the first time, my background is in social studies. 
And I, I wrote a course, and this goes along the lines with our, our upcoming episodes on, on cultural relevance mm-hmm. and, and some of the things that we're going to engage in in a, in a diverse country when we have an institution as large as school, if it's meeting the needs of all kinds of different people, racially, eth- ethnically, and uh, gender-wise, and so Absolutely. on and so forth. But the point is, is I, I uh, had an elective course I taught called Ethnic Studies, the Study of American Minorities and Contemporary Social Issues, and we read the narrative of the life of American slave uh, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he, 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 he has this biography of, a, of an unbelievably gifted human being who's overcoming all kinds of trauma as a slave. He moves from being a rural slave to being a city slave, and in being a city slave, he's exposed to a a female mistress or a female master who teaches him how to read. That gives him this unbelievable exuberance and zest for Mm -hmm. life, for a different life, for a better life, for a non-slave life. He then gets thrown back into the rural slave culture where he is to be broken. And he's, he's looking off into the Maryland Bay, and he's seeing sail ships and sailing, sail, sailboats used to remind him of freedom, the, mm. the possibility of a geographic movement that might move him into a whole other time, place, and space where he could be free. And he's talking about apathy when he speaks to looking at the sailboats and never, no longer having a zest for life. Hmm. No longer hmm. wondering about freedom, yeah. no longer wondering about his condition, and he, he compares himself to a brute, to an animal, hmm. just accepting his, his condition. And it's this very depressing passage, which ends with him fighting his master and rediscovering his, his, his zeal for life. Hmm. The whole point for me is that gave us a context as students to discuss the forces that cause us to be ambivalent about our lives mm-hmm. and the hope or the revival it might take for us to re-grasp the challenge of life. So I, I, I'm sorry I took so long with that, folks, but what we're asking ourselves is, essentially, if kids are apathetic or if teachers or adults feel like kids aren't engaged in their, in their learning process, what does it take? To pull them out of that. Well, and so as you were talking, one of the things that stood out to me, Brett, was, I mean, we think about it in a traditional classroom setting. Sometimes kids just aren't interested in the material. If I have seven classes in a day, there's no way I'm going to have the same level of zest or interest in all seven. I'm going to have my favorite class and I'm going to have my least favorite class. That's human nature. But one of the things that stood out to me as you told that story is, um, is agency. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your own agency in, in your learning process, or in the case of your story, experiencing the zest and, and the disengagement from apathy yeah. and, and the desire to act? Yeah, the belief, uh, I think what causes apathy is that we no longer believe that by engaging in this, I'm going to have an experience or outputs that are worth it. Yeah. So for me, I mean, this is, this is super cheesy, and folks, I apologize for such a personal lame example, but I never, I never liked music class. It turns out that, you know, a professor, I've told you this story a number of times before in college, uh, like diagnosed me in a class with tone deafness. Well, all I know and is And if you've I, heard Brett sing, it, that's not d- inaccurate. Yeah, I'm yeah. part of Satan's choir, unintentionally. <laughs> but the point is, though, is I, I, I didn't. I, di- I didn't sing. I couldn't do do, re, mi. I couldn't keep the rhythm. And, and so, uh, you know, even as a fourth, fifth, sixth grader, there were PE days and music days. And I hated going to, to music days. And I loved going to PE days. And I really just now, as I look back on it, didn't believe like other kids were having fun. I used to look at my best friend, Todd, 
And Todd, if you're out there and you're listening, you're supposed to be because I've asked you to listen to our podcast. But if you're out there listening, Hi, you used to just you loved PE and music. And I used to just look at you when we were in music class having fun and thinking to myself, what the hell are you enjoying about this experience? Hmm. But you did. You participated. You got better. You got compliments from the teacher and from other peers. You were put in those little groups where, where you could do things more independently. But the point is, is I learned early that no amount of effort on this task was going to yield a reward. Mm. And that caused me to be apathetic or ambivalent. That can be school mm. for a number of our students and children out there. Well, and so your example just brought to mind uh, the, what we've talked about in public education probably for the last 10 years is the distinction between growth and fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you were not rooted in a either growth mindset for growth in the field of music or a fixed mindset in that you wouldn't grow, that message was externalized from your instructor yeah. that you are not going to grow in this area. And so that externalized message caused you to disengage and become ap- apathetic within that subject. Or it could have been a biological message. I could care less. I loved my music teachers. They were all great. Oh. All, they were all great people. The whole point was no matter what effort I put in, that there was nothing about that experience that should cause me to like have zeal. Mm, And so what I'm asking out of our teachers and and out of our families and out of our students is is a bit of deeper conversation about what we're learning or how we're learning and asking ourselves, is that the answer to apathy? And if a student is not engaged, is it okay, man? Is is it okay to to say to our child, hey, I know you don't get this. You know, I, 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 this is this is really revealing and probably damning. And I, our <laughs> colleagues out there, gosh, I apologize a thousand for it because you know how much I, I connect with our English language arts teachers. But, geez, at my kids' school, they're doing some sort of like classics. My my son for sophomore year has to read Shakespeare, oh, old, old dead white men. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, but the worst case scenario from from two Shakespearean plays to. Oedipus to I don't know, man. I'm sorry. And in and, and all all wrangling, it was like a hit list of all the shit that I didn't ever want to read, and I wish I hadn't read. Uh, truth be told, Great Gatsby. People love it. I think it's a a ridiculous book that I can't I can't culturally connect to the Great Gatsby or the era in which mm-hmm. it's 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 highlighting. The whole point is, I'm looking at my son and I'm thinking, man, you're you're dead before you got in the water. Mm-hmm. And it's no offense to the curriculum. Uh, actually, his, uh, his teacher seems like a phenomenal uh, young teacher that will do their absolute best within pedagogy and planning and strategy to engage my child. But I will say this. If my son doesn't like what he's reading and can't put forth 100% effort on, on the analysis pieces of his writing, mm-hmm. I'm going to just be like, hey, buddy, <laughs> I promise you, that reading is awesome and writing is empowering and you're going to find both your voice at another time. Well, and that's so often what we see in, in reading and writing, even all the way up through high school and to some extent college is we, we expose students to either culturally irrelevant text um, that they can't connect with, or we don't allow voice and choice in their selection of relevant texts to still demonstrate their understanding for learning. And, and some of the best literacy teachers we've worked with over the years have libraries of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books where students can select a text that's relevant to them, they connect with personally, and they use that then to demonstrate growth, understanding, and mastery. Yeah. And, 
and when they're forced through the old dead white guy curriculum, that's when we disengage students. And when we talk about apathy, we see a lot of apathy, and I've personally seen a lot of apathy in those classes where we're going through the same, you're going to read The Crucible, you're going to read at least two Shakespeare plays in Britlet, mm-hmm. you're going to, and you just kind of go through this iterative process where that's exactly what we did, and now we're exposing children to and one of the best English departments I ever worked with also took a lot of flack mm-hmm. for increasing the cultural relevance of their texts and expanding the diversity of their texts and making it more modern and relevant yeah and so um, when kids are reading things that are connected to modern times or their personal cultures um, they're going to be more engaged in it but uh, I mean I'm a middle-aged white guy and I don't want to read old dead white guys yeah yeah so. and, and let's 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 shift from that too I mean uh, so often our students are like, oh, with math, when am I ever going to use this? Mm-hmm. And I, I got into it one time when I was a teacher, not an administrator. Yeah. And they're like, you know, you're gonna, you need this for everything. And I'm like, well, if you can't answer that question, it's a perfectly fine question for a 14, 15, 16, yeah. or 17-year-old to answer. They are actually at a junction in their lives where they're pulling away from institutions and pulling away from adults. And in a society like that, that like is so prideful of its liberty and its freedom and its its sense of choice it's a natural cultural question not even an anthropological one mm. for a kid to ask why am i re- learning this or why are we doing this mm. and if you can't answer it then they're certainly not going to come up with it absolutely the point is i mean at the at the end of the day um it is the responsibility in my opinion of of curriculum uh meaning school boards and and those that sell curriculum it is the responsibility of teachers uh, to be able to make sure, I'm not talking about being a song and dance person up there. I'm not talking about a, some sort of silly show that you're putting on a cabaret instead of uh, conducting a classroom. But I am saying that developing the purpose mm. of, of why we're learning or how we're learning and generating an exciting outcome, that is entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is culturally embedded in the United States that we might do something that matters. Yeah, absolutely. We're going we're gonna to innovate. We're going to change. Yeah. We're going we're gonna, to... Um, adopt a mindset of constant improvement. Um, it's so one of the things I, as you were talking about that really stood out to me, um, when a student's in a learning experience, and we talked about this in our, when we started talking about service learning and personalized learning and project-based learning, voice and choice in students' learning experience. Um, but one of the things recently we're, we're constantly missing um, that's become more commonplace in the research and dialogue is the role of trauma in apathy. Yeah. And so I'm a teacher, uh, let's say I'm a 10th grade world history teacher, and Johnny just isn't really loving the background of... Um, uh, the Enlightenment, the Age of Enlightenment. The, the enlightenment. Thank you, Voltaire. It, yeah, there you go. Age of Enlightenment. <laughs> Age of Enlightenment. It, 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 in instruction, sometimes that's less enlightening than literally anything else from modern history. <laughs> but the, Johnny's not connecting with it. Johnny's not engaging with it. One, that can mean a couple of things. First of all, as teachers, we sometimes forget that the world does not begin and end at the door to our classroom. Yeah. That, that kids are experiencing other, six other learning environments seven other learning environments with their other classes at the secondary level, but also they're bringing in their personal life experiences into the classroom that will always trump what's happening instructionally. Um, so the role of trauma in what we perceive as apathy. So I, you see that on a daily basis with a younger demographic, um, but, but how does that lens from a trauma lens inform what we misinterpret as apathy? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And the answer is to what extent um, I'm not sure. I would love to think that our school environments, our culture and climate, and our curriculum are something that can be a bridge mm-hmm. from where we come from to, to where we're at. 
What I can say is that when we create learning environments of pure performance all the time, this goes back to a couple episodes ago when we filmed them talking about uh, state testing. Yeah, yeah. When we're yeah. constantly asking kids to perform, then we're also asking them to revisit their trauma experiences. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that there is something out there for the audience to take into scope about what, what trauma is. And, and it is not uncommon in, in our society where kids, um, I mean, what are the most common traumas from like uh, significant household arguments and yelling and shouting to financial problems mm -hmm. to, um, you know, continual uh, living environment displacement to uh, sexual and physical abuse to food insecurity, food insecurity, yeah, home insecurity. Uh, yeah. I mean, when you when you think about even like um, just media panic, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, I mean, like, the you know, the world is crashing on every time you look uh, into something uh, to, to typical teenage trauma experiences like, you know, learning how to experience uh, relationships mm -hmm. and and those different things. So, I mean, when we talk about trauma, folks, we're talking about all of those things that threaten our brain's ability to concentrate mm -hmm. and to be in the moment. And then as teachers, that's our domain. Mm -hmm. That's our, that's our, that's our honeymoon suite for a lack of a better like expression, <laughs> but it is, it's what, it's what we've planned on. It's what mm -hmm. we've designed. If we don't think it's important or exciting or valuable, then we're mm -hmm. in the wrong place. But sometimes we can be completely disconnected from where they're at in their headspace from what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so for me, there's a large amount that ha doesn't have to do with the curriculum, Marcus. It has to do with like how we're learning today. Mm. Like, can I address the curriculum in a way that is collaborative, Safe, enjoyable? Inclusive. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. man. Free to fail, mm -hmm. uh, a risk, you know, take risks. Uh, we're gonna get back to it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you give your best effort, then you're gonna get my best effort. You know, you know yeah. the, the types of things that that create a uh, safe space to learn. Yeah, I, knowing that as a student, I'm coming to the classroom and every day I don't have to win the gold medal. I don't have to come in first every time. I can, I can come in at where I'm at and make an effort and perform at a level that's appropriate for me at that time on that day. Um, it, but the, the, the issue we run into, and I've seen a lot of young teachers make this mistake, Brett, is we're all nerds about our content mm -hmm. area, right? And in elementary teachers, they're experts. They're supposed to be experts on all content area. But there's always one part of our instruction that resonates most with us as educators. Mm -hmm. And because we care so much about it, we want the kids to care that much about it, knowing that if I love, um, oh, I don't know, give me another world history, or so, uh, social studies history example, world history. Oh, geez. Cold War. Okay. If, if I'm a Cold War nerd, actually, we used to work with somebody that was a Cold War nerd, and he was the only person in his department who gave a shit. <laughs> but I love the Cold War and the geopolitical environment that was things like the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. and I love that. Kids who are 50 years removed from that experience are not going to have that same passion <laughs> yeah, as you. Yeah, yeah. And there might be one kid that that resonates with, but because we're passionate about it, we want the, it to resonate with the kids and a, and a teacher who nerds out about their topic will always get kids more excited about it yeah. we know that yeah. but they're never going to have the same connection that we do personally and then we take that to mean apathy yeah. and really what that could mean is that students coming in uh food insecure they didn't have breakfast mm -hmm. or coming in and they worked last night um to help make ends meet for the family or they just don't give a shit about the yeah, cold war yeah, yeah. and they're more looking forward to their class next period which is um, painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just, I mean, Marcus, I don't want to uh, assume that everybody in our audience loves the Cold War. No, definitely. <laughs> uh, but also just, you know, understands what apathy looks like. Yeah. 
I mean, apathy, apathy can be defined, but what does it look like in a, in a classroom? So it, let me ask you this, Brett. What, is, what does apathy look like in one of your kids? Okay. Apath- in one of your... Yeah, my students. As, yeah. I, I, would, I would say... No, as one, of, as one of your kids. Oh, my children. Yeah, my as, children. As, as Justice Teagan remarked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, for, for my children, it looks like a poor effort. Okay. It looks like an effort that I know is less than they're, they're able to it do. It looks so, like a clay block of cheese, yes. which if you're not familiar with that story, <laughs> yeah. circle back a couple episodes. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it, it, when, when, I, when I can actually see it, um, well, first of all, homework is a big one. My, my kids are in high school and, and in eighth grade. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a weekend today. We're, we're filming on a weekend. And, and today they had to get caught up on, on homework. And for for two of my three children, it looked like they'd rather pick up the dog poop than do their homework, hmm. which means they're just not not invested in in what they're doing and what the outcomes are. And I, I'm not upset about that. Yeah, uh, that's fine. They can go ahead. But for me, the worst part is when they are working on something that takes extended amount of time, and I get to see it at home, and I get to see a poor effort. And it will they will literally say apathetic phrases. I will say to my son or my daughters, or my sons or my daughter, I'll say, hey, that doesn't even make sense in your writing. Dad, it does. Nobody's going to read it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Or, Dad, don't worry. It's fine. Where they acknowledge that it's a poor effort. So some rationalization. Yeah, they you. acknowledge it's a poor effort. They acknowledge it's a poor product, and they just don't care. And I want that to sit on the audience for a little bit because that can be my children, and maybe there's an apathy problem in my home, and I need to be you know, open to that. But it also could really say to our teachers and to our schools and to our families there's a whole lot of stuff that either doesn't matter or they're not interested in Mm -hmm. so what do you do at that point but for teachers it's a lot of times marcus it's the head down Mm -hmm. you know they've got the head Head down down. they got the hat over their head or they got the hood up or they got their earbuds in in. Yeah. yeah those are those those are those are big ones but the only thing i would ask of teachers is before you tell them they're apathetic or that they're lazy, ask a few questions. Mm-hmm. See if you can find out if there's one of those trauma experiences mm-hmm. going on. Yep. See if you can find out if there might be a basic need, whether it's mental, emotional, psychological, or actually physical and physiological, that, that we could meet as a school. And maybe there's just a, a space for grace there. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, man, I know you don't love pre-algebra, but I really want you to pass, and I'm invested. Can I, can I get you to do... A little bit more tomorrow. I can see you need rest today. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, man, I don't think that's making Extending kids some grace. Nah, yeah, I don't think that that's weak. I got to be honest with you. I think that what that says is to every kid in the classroom that you appreciate the effort that they're putting in because yeah. those, are, those are that are engaged. And it tells that kid that tomorrow's another day, that they're not a thing. When you, when you work with teenagers, they label themselves yeah. worse than anything. Yeah, absolutely. They'll say, oh, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Or, I'm not in school. Or, I'm not good at school. Or, I'm not good at math or this, that, and the other. And they just, they'll label themselves faster than we label them. Mm-hmm. So it, tearing down that label and creating a tomorrow, mm-hmm. a hope for tomorrow, is the best thing you can do. It's, it's two things you said to me, Brett, stood out. One is that when kids label themselves, I'm not good at math. I would always interject as an educator, yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not an organized student yet mm-hmm. and, and so that growth mindset of just like no we're not there yet mm-hmm. we're getting there the other thing is you hit on the physiological distinctions of uh, of children in this process and that we know from a cognitive cognitive neuroscience standpoint and physiologically 
that kids at different ages developmentally do not have specific skill sets that adults attribute to them. Yeah. And so what we may see as apathy as an educator may be the lack of executive functioning that allows a kid to attend to organization, to complete an assignment, demonstrating understanding. Yeah. Do they have the intentions to, to complete the assignment? Yes. Do they have the intentions to complete the assignment, demonstrate understanding? Yes. Do they have the executive functioning and organization skills to actually work through those processes for a large scale assignment? Sometimes no. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> exactly. Not yet. Exactly. Especially, and we know this, this doesn't happen for males until their mid to late or early to uh, mid twenties. And for female students until their late teens and early twenties. But we're asking students at a variety of levels to do these things when maybe developmentally they just don't have those skills yet. And we misinterpret that as apathy when it's really just a lack of skill development that maybe we haven't hit on yet. Yeah, Marcus, I think you just gave an explanation for what you introduced this show to. So why have we spent a century writing about student apathy? Mm -hmm. It's because when we are in our 30s and 40s, we're looking back on the 14, 15, 16-year-old experience through our 30s and 40s. We're, we're armchair, we're Monday morning quarterback. Yes, yeah. yeah, and the whole point is is that we're having a hard time remembering what it's not like to, to put your nose to the grindstone, to, to earn a paycheck, yeah. Um, to be fully invested in a 40 hour work week. Let's not forget, like, you know, like we, we invented school buses to make kids get to the, to, to the schoolhouse for, yeah. For, yeah. For, yeah. For, for lack <laughs> of a better analogy. A point. The point is, those, you, like, you need a physical device to get you to school because developmentally <laughs> you probably aren't capable of doing it right. yourself. Yeah. Right. So the, 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 my whole point though, is, is that we're always disappointed with this, with this next generation. And, and I wouldn't pretend for a moment that that schoolhouse cracked isn't about examining those pieces where we got to get in there and figure out what the filament is mm -hmm. figure out what the solution is wonder if there's a foundational problem like we do need to be curious and wonder and pr be progressive within our solutions but at the same time when we're talking about something that's existed for all time we have there is a little bit of understanding we need to have with kids are they playing enough are, are our classrooms worth joy ask your kids um, here's a simple question at folks at home folks who's your favorite teacher Who's your least favorite teacher? And then ask why. And if your kids happen to say because they have a really great curriculum and they're really well planned out, <laughs> then you've got unusual children. <laughs> they're probably going to say something like he or she's funny or fun or enjoyable or um, makes connections in some sort of way. Or they're rigid. It's, it's not going to be a super insightful thing into definitely curriculum. Be, it be, might have something to do with instruction, but it's not going to have anything to do with it's curriculum. It's typically going to be character based yeah. and relationally based. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, with that, with that being said, uh, find out what your kids aren't apathetic about, help them apply those basic principles and preparation, work ethic, um, endurance, uh, to learning the best that they can. I have yet to meet a kid that is lazy about everything. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's their resistance to authority that they're persistent about, which comes across as lazy all the time. But a lot of kids have gifts and talents and things that they're dedicated to, amazing things that they're doing, and find out how school might channel that energy. You talk about voice and choice a lot. But if you, if you have a kid that has an unbelievable artistic expression, if they're drawing skull and crossbones all over their paper, but they're doing it well, uh, then there might be something there for us to help draw them in. Well, and, and so I hadn't anticipated talking about this, Brett, but what you're talking about is essentially the fundamentals of positive psychology mm -hmm. and strength-based uh, character strength um, 
uh, improvement. Mm -hmm. And so the University of Pennsylvania, they have a, an institute of character development, which is rooted in concepts of positive psychology, is that when we're doing things that, that are our strengths, we feel confident and we grow in, which allows us to access other areas where we may be less weaker in, but use our strengths to grow in those areas as well. When we're constantly given messages of de a, a deficit mindset, deficit psychology, when we're constantly threatened with these messages of areas we're weak in or, quote, apathetic in, we'll disengage. And when we hear those messages, that causes additional disengagement. So from a positive psychology lens and a character development lens, strength-based lens, um, as we encourage kids uh, to engage in the things that they're most passionate about, they have strengths, and it plays out in other areas. And so I, I would just say, uh, folks at home and teachers, you know, it, it, it's okay to understand that not every kid is going to love your content as much as you do or as much as the kid sitting next to them. But that doesn't mean they don't have a huge strength in another area. They can't be leveraged to access your, your yeah. content as well. Yeah. Um, so it's the difference. When we talk about apathy, we're looking at a deficit lens. Mm -hmm. We're constantly looking at what the kid is lacking. They're apathetic because they don't engage in this. When in reality, they also have a strength in another area that we may be able to access that will, can be leveraged to to engage in and be less, less apathetic in our area if we take the time to work from a lens of relationships yeah. and we take into account the trauma students bring into the Yeah, classroom. and I just dare you. I, Elon Elon Musk would be like the primary example right now at the contemporary, but like how, how many people who've done something highly impactful in the world reflect back on their weaknesses or their inability to do school well? And I'm not putting down school because like it takes me to the we're, day. We're both here because we love school. <laughs> it's, it's, what love love. School yeah. it's what I love. It's what I love. I guarantee you tomorrow I'm getting up more with an, an agency-based uh, belief, with an efficacy-based approach, with an excitement and a fervor to get to where I'm supposed to go than 90% of, of this population. But I will say this simply. It, if it's not working for all kids, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's, if it's just so narrow and so lame, that it works for all kids, then it may not be the institution that we're so proud of. It's okay if mm -hmm. kids are, uh, let's, how do they say it uh, here? They say, uh, according to Oxford, if they're not interested, enthusiastic, or concerned, let's just find out what's making them tick. Absolutely. So, folks, as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts, opinions, comments. Send them to us at schoolhousecrack at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and download us on all of your favorite podcast channels. With me, as always, is Mr. Brett Derrickson, challenger of apathetic views, um, inspirer of young minds, and somebody who's really looking at making the most out of every learning experience for every kid in every school. Yeah, and here's the opposite of apathy. This is a guy that engages in everything at the highest level. Dr. Motor Chandler, I appreciate you setting everything up, and I appreciate you fielding all their questions. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of you when I say, hey, challenge our thinking. Give us something that we can uh, really, uh, really challenges our dispositions. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that the, it's time now that somebody calls us out and says, you know, hey, man, this kid is, these kids are lazy. It's the TikTok generation. <laughs> you, guys, you guys sped past all kinds of things that our kids are engaging in culturally, and you might want to push back on it and give us something to... Uh, uh, to really think about and to read about and to research. I do appreciate everything that you do. To uh, You just quoted the University of Pennsylvania. Well done. I think Ben Franklin started the University of Pennsylvania. You Penn. Go yeah, Ben. There you go. All right. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next episode.